Welcome to Roundhouse Roulette, a Walker, Texas Ranger podcast. Normally, we'd be recapping and reviewing one of the 200 existing Walker, Texas Ranger episodes randomly selected by Roundhouse Roulette, but we've got a very special episode for you today. I'm Adam Dalton, here with my brother, Evan. By phone. <laughs> you sound great. <laughs> and uh, our fellow Walkerologist, Mr. Bob Leahy. I'm also by phone, but it's one of those sweet car phones. No, no, you're not by phone. Don't, no. don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, how are you? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm excited for this week's podcast here. I think we all are. We got a good one. Finally, right? Yeah. Might be the first good one. We'll let the listeners be the judge of that. (laughs) Evan, uh, so you're without electricity, huh? Correct. I'm without electricity or or water because we have a well. So, yeah, a pretty nasty storm blew through the Northeast and uh, knocked out power for half a million people in the the eastern part of, uh, southeastern part of Massachusetts. And we unfortunately are within that group. We are just glad that your priorities are with this podcast, Evan. That's all. I mean, I, I, my priority is mostly just so that you'll get off my case. So. Okay, good. I'm glad we got that recorded. (laughs) All right. Well, our guest today phoning in from Los Angeles, California is a legendary director who got his start script supervising on films like Marlon Brando's Mutiny on the Bounty, John Wayne's True Grit, and Steve McQueen's The Getaway. Through True Grit, he worked his way into the director's chair. Some of the shows he's directed over his epic career include Seventh Heaven, Baywatch, The Incredible Hulk, MacGyver, and over 300 episodes of Dallas. The original. And on Dallas, he was the man who shot, who shot J.R., one of the most watched moments in television history. But for our purposes, it is his direction on over 70 episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger, that makes him a true master of the medium. Mr. Michael Priest, we are not worthy. Welcome to Roundhouse Roulette. Yes, here I am. <laughs> thanks, for, <laughs> thanks so much for doing this, man. Yeah, I'm happy to. Where are you? <laughs> yeah, um, I am in uh, Nashville, Tennessee here. Okay. Yeah. And uh, are you in the back cave there? I'm in, in, you know, Los Angeles. Okay, okay. Is that what you meant? Brentwood. Well, I heard the uh, grandfather clock, so I didn't know if you were near oh, the back. Oh, that's it. Just the back I'm cave. in my office. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm in I'm in a church. No, I, I'm in my office. It's just six. That's why that went off. Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, yeah. And Evan and Bob are in on the uh, East Coast. Uh, Bob is in Lowell, Mass. Uh, and Evan is he actually is without power. They had a nor'easter out there. Uh, yeah, I read about that. Wow, it so made it made it all the way to the West Coast, huh? Oh, sure. Yeah, I got all that stuff. Can I ask you, how, how old are you guys? Oh, yeah. Um, well, that's a personal question. So, <laughs> yeah. So I just wonder because, you know, to, to, because it shows I've done, you know, like 25 years old girls or whatever you meet 
They mm-hmm. say, yeah, I used to work on 7th Avenue. And they said, oh, yeah, my, my mother watched that. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then you, you say, wait a minute. Did you ever hear of, you know, who, you know, Chuck Norris is? Oh, yeah, that's an old guy that sells, you know, they, they, you know it's, it's so it's interesting that you, yeah. you guys seem interested in the shows that are from the past. Yeah, I am 38. Oh, okay. That's all. That's all. Yeah. 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 So, I figured. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. Because uh, I I try to watch some of the stuff now. I have a tough time watching them. You know the, the stories. I don't know whether it's the writing. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then lots of times I said, oh, I did that story, except we did it before cell phones, so we had to stop <laughs> at a phone book. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They just they're redoing all your episodes, but with cell phones now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I uh, my wife and I during COVID we watched the entire series of Friends, Uh and I had actually never I had actually never watched it before. But you know, much like any of those sitcoms out there, most of the comedy arises from some failure in communication out there, or any drama does too. And uh, it was so much easier for there would be problems with communication back then because no one had phones or no one had cell yeah. phones. <laughs> yeah. You, you cannot go anywhere. Uh, and if, if, like if I phone you and you don't answer, basically you don't want to talk because all you have to do is answer your phone and say, I'll call you back or, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and so there's no excuse for a husband's. I couldn't get to a phone booth or whatever. Oh, I didn't have any quarters, honey. Yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't have a <laughs> or or a nickel way back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, if a guy wanted to go and hang out somewhere in a bar or something, uh, but now everybody knows where you are. Well, I think you worked on Walker Texas Ranger as cell phones branched into the plots of the episodes. Like, I think there was actually an episode you worked on where Gage was on a plane that was being like remote controlled and taken down, and he. He was saved by a cell phone. Oh yeah, probably so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the cell phones. I don't know what I'd do without it. I Google literally all the time. I, I'll read a book and and they'll talk about. I, I just finished reading a book and it was a beer that I had never heard of, mm-hmm. and I looked it up and <laughs> I got some. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, do you recall what out. kind of beer it was? Yeah, it's an East Coast wheat beer. That sounds pretty good. It's darn good. It's, it comes in a yellow bottle, but in the book, they describe it eating with like shellfish. Uh, and uh, I said, God, that sounds good. So, uh, <laughs> oh, we have is, it, bit- is it an, an, uh, an Allagash? Yes, exactly. Thank you. All right, yeah. we've done I, it. I just, never, I just never heard of it. And uh, Bevmo carries it. So I, I keep uh, I keep some around in my little uh, bar refrigerator. I oh, like excellent. it. Excellent, excellent, excellent. <laughs> yeah, one of the things we do in our podcast is uh, not only do we talk about Walker Texas Ranger, but we oftentimes discuss the merits or shortcomings of a specific beer that we each drink at that time. Oh, oh, good. Yeah, I drink one called Fat Tire. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really a. For, for me, that's a good because I like stronger beers. You know, if you're going to drink a light beer, you know, I mean, I, 
I don't. <laughs> I, I like IPAs, most of them. Respect. Now, when you were in yeah. Texas, did you drink uh, Pearl beer? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I probably did, but not very often. <laughs> you know, it it's funny. Uh, I was down in Arkansas one time on a movie, and uh, these guys who were young, I guess they were college kids because the movie was about college kids. And uh, they said, would I go in and buy them beer? And I said, yeah, sure. And they were like 20 or something. And uh, they they said, uh, so what kind do you like? They said, sale beer. And I they had such a thick accent, I couldn't understand what they were saying. And they were, I said, sale, what, 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 is it like pass through it? No, sale beer, whatever's on sale. <laughs> <laughs> whatever's the cheapest. Yeah, yeah. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> we actually uh, got to talk with Walker, Texas Ranger script supervisor, Mignon Monroe. Mignon. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she mentioned that your mother actually started the script supervisors guild. So I was wondering if maybe you could tell us a little about that and how you got into the industry. I'll be happy to. Yes. My mother, 1936 did that. Wow. She and two other ladies, uh, our next door neighbor who was a, because before that only secretaries did the job, uh, because a director would bring her, his secretary onto the set and she'd keep track of continuity. The script supervisor has the wrong name. You know, it should be continuity okay. uh, because that's what you're in charge of. But they, the, the people wanted a more, you know, it's like a petroleum engineer is a, you know, a retail petroleum engineer is a gas station attendant, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, so they wanted a more sophisticated name. People think that you wrote the scripts. If you're mm. a script supervisor. Yeah. yeah. We definitely had no idea what it was. Yeah, we didn't know. We didn't know. <laughs> you know, like if you walk through a door and you have a, a glass in your right hand and you come through the other door, maybe it's a month later, you're shooting it. But nowadays they have video so you can check it. But uh, in those days, if you're on location or whatever, there was no way of knowing. So they had to rely on and you would write down the glasses in the right hand held by the stem. You know, and you'd have to make a little note about that or take a Polaroid or something. But they had to, when I started, they had no Polaroids. Mm. So you had to write it down or, or somehow remember. And, you know, and then, of course, they would come to a point where they'd ask you a question. Was my jacket unbuttoned or buttoned when I came through that door? And, you know, we were in Hong Kong, say, I worked on a show called I Spy. <laughs> and... And how far up was the zipper on my jacket when I came, you know, Cosby and Colt. And, and now we're shooting in Hong Kong. Now we come back to shoot in Hollywood. And how far, you know, and you're guessing, kind of. I mean, yeah. You know, I didn't have a tape measure that I remember. <laughs> I used to call them script clerks when my mother organized them. My mother wrote the bylaws for the script clerks guild, it was called. Wow. Uh, along with two women who did the job. And both of them had been secretaries to their directors. There were some productions where they were like, oh, we don't want a female script supervisor. We want a male script supervisor. Is that kind of how you got into it? Yeah, well, my mother uh, got me in, yeah. Because, like, if you're shooting on a submarine or something like that, <laughs> I hate to do it now because... You get in trouble for saying it, but uh, more difficult circumstances, mm -hmm. uh, uh, or if it was an all-male cast, bathrooms and things came into 
things so they would hire a, a male. We're, we're talking about the misogynist past here. We're talking about history here. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now there's no such word as the secretary, but but this one woman, her name was Trudy Wellman, who was ne- lived next door to my parents. She said, "Well, we we need to get this little group organized." as a union or as a guild. And so they sat down and wrote the bylaws, And but they were all women at the time. And then suddenly they make it a submarine movie. And I, a good example. And, and uh, women were wearing skirts in those days. Uh, so you couldn't oh, yeah. come down a Submarine uh, stairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably not the best, uh, best thing. You don't want it. You've got a bunch of... Taylor's looking up. Yeah. You didn't wear your kilts either? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and those Scottish script supervisors. But there were, you know, there was a, a time right after the war, guys were coming back from being in the army and they had been, you know, making films for uh, the army and they, they wanted to get into the business. And a script supervisor was a good way to start. And a lot of those guys became well-known directors, uh, like Sam Peckinpah. Yeah. And you script supervised on Marlon Brando's Mutiny on the Bounty, John Wayne's True Grit, and Steve yes. McQueen's The Getaway? Yes, I did. Unbelievable. And a lot uh, of others. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah, all, all the stuff you've worked on. How did you uh, transition into the director's chair? Um, I was listening to one of your other interviews where you were talking about getting stuck in the back of a car or something like that? Oh, that, that was a story. I was working on the streets of San Francisco, and uh, I was ready to start directing. And um, there was a director named Seymour Robbie who directed the streets. They did a lot of running shots. And Michael Douglas would drive and Carl Mullins sit next to him, and it would put three cameras on it, one on the hood of the car mm-hmm. and one on each side of the window to shoot through to, you know, a close-up of Michael Douglas driving and a shot of things. And so there was no room for a director, and there was no way to video at that time to sit in a place and watch it. So I would lie in the back seat, and I had the camera switch so I could switch on all three cameras, turn on the sound mixing panel, and Niagara. And in addition to that, I would hit the slate, and I'd say action. And then they start doing their scene. And Michael was, you know, a, a, like a race car driver. And some of them were, you know, fast driving. Some were things. But, you, you know, you have all these lights in the window. So he can, he can hardly see two cameras and they're acting. And and um, and then one of them would say a line that didn't sound right to me. I'd say, say that again, Carl. And he would say it again. You know, the intercutting. And, you know, we'd come back. And the director would step out and say, how was it? And I said, we got everything. He said, really? You're only gone 10 minutes. And uh, we'd gone down hills. And they saw the stuff, and they, they liked it. Yeah. Quinn Martin liked it. And then one day, Quinn shows up, and uh, this was other directors, because none of the directors wanted to do what I was doing. <laughs> and now I probably, I'd probably be the same way. I said, I don't want to get in that car. Yeah. Lie down in the back seat. <laughs> Take <laughs> my life, my aunt. And yeah. um, Quinn Martins came to San Francisco. And he arrived on the set and he greeted everybody. Uh, I said hello to him. I didn't know him at all, but you know, I had seen him a few times. I went over to his car and I said, uh, you know, uh, 
Quinn, something I would like to ask you. He said, don't ask. I know what you want. I'll take care of it. And like the next day, I, I got word from the production manager that I was directing two episodes from that. <laughs> so, and he said to me, he said, you know, directors are a dime a dozen, but a good script supervisor are hard to find. Wow. Okay. So, so your foot in the door was getting cramped in the back of a car and uh, yeah. doing the dirty well, work. Well, and also both Carl Walden and Michael Douglas, and there was a uh, couple other people, directors, directing Streets of San Francisco, who went to Quinn Martin and said, you know, your script supervisor should be directing. The one was a guy named Billy Hale, a director, and um, a couple of others. Uh, they vouched for you. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they went to bath for me, actually. And uh, they said, you know, he's ready. I was 38 when I started directing. Okay. Um, yeah, I watched one of the, uh, <laughs> the the bionic woman. I'd never, I didn't realize that was part of like the Million Dollar Man uh, franchise. Yeah, kind of the same idea, yeah. Yeah, I, I was one same where studio. she uh, got brainwashed at a hair salon. It was pretty, uh, pretty classic. <laughs> <laughs> which I, it's been known to happen so yeah i, I think so find it. <laughs> but yeah i mean you, you worked on a ton of tv in, in the 70s um but i guess i mean notably dallas takes you to texas and i mean we're a walker texas ranger podcast so how did you get to dallas dallas was because of the producer uh, leonard katzman had been a, a friend of mine for forever he was an assistant director, and then he got a series, Dallas, as a uh, producer. And uh, he called me and said, I want you to direct the, the, the opening season. And I said, what's it about? He told me, you know, these rich people in Texas. I said, oh, my God, no. I said, I'm doing the best series ever made. I'm doing a thing called The Runaways, which was about runaway people, not just kids or uh, wives or husbands or grandpas. And I said, it's it's Quinn Martin's show, and it's really well written. We've got uh, Robert Reed, who was from this family show. Anyway, um, I, I said, it's going to be a hit, and I don't think this Dallas show will ever make it. Well, we did 11 <laughs> episodes of that. That's how wrong it can be. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Dallas ran for <laughs> 10 years or something. Wow. So when the runaways kind of ran away what happened there i i don't know what was right after that but i was lucky uh, or not, I, I don't know it was luck but um most of the shows i did i did multiple a few shows i i only did one episode uh, uh you know or they weren't successful but i think uh, baywatch was the only show i only did one episode <laughs> and they never asked me to do another one I don't know why that was. Probably. Uh, you, you were probably <laughs> creeping around the beach a little too long. Yeah, it was probably, yeah. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> wrong. It, didn't, it didn't happen to be on a uh, submarine, did it? Uh, Baywatch? No. <laughs> I didn't want to I, I don't know what that was. But it was a great job, Baywatch, because, you know, I lived in Malibu at the time, so I could be to work in about 10 minutes or so. That's yeah. like two blocks in Malibu, 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, yeah, we shot right, right down, yeah, Santa Monica or something. <laughs> wow, and you did The Incredible Hulk? Yeah, I did that, one episode of that, I think. 
that was not a great experience for me. Did you uh, did you accidentally make Bruce Banner angry on set, or uh, I have no idea. No, sometimes when you're doing a uh, show, uh, uh, one time I, I I was doing a show and they they said you kid around too much. I was doing a knots landing, and on Dallas we never took it seriously at all. <laughs> so there was never a moment that anyone. Uh, didn't mess around, uh, you know, off stage or, or, or mass or certainly rehearsals. You could not get a rehearsal. And there's a wonderful uh, Barbara Bel Geddes, you know, from played the mother. And uh, she called me at night, the night before her big scene where she realized that her husband, Jock, she came to a realization he was dead because he had been missing and and um, and the actor in real life was dead, but mm-hmm. he. Uh, so we had this episode, and she was sitting at the dining room table, and she hears this verbal going on, and she's just out of it. And she gets up, goes into the kitchen, and loses it. Throws frying pans all over, and breaks dishes. And we had it all. We had rehearsed the whole thing where she was. Uh, the dishes were special plates that she would break, and you know, and throwing frying pans and where. They would go, you know, so it was all staged. I mean, it was uh, rehearsed and, and planned out. And so we're sitting at the table, and she calls me the night before and says, Patrick and uh, Duffy and Larry Hagman, they have a tendency to fool around. She said, would you ask them to just be good boys and just do the scene as written? And I said, oh, yeah, I will. So I call Larry and Patrick and the rest of them and uh, said, you know, guys, if you could, just behave, don't try to be funny. They said, oh, yeah, we agree, you know, we'll do it. So we're shooting the scene and the master, and everything's fine. And all of a sudden, just before Barbara gets up to run into the kitchen to do her scene, a pea hits her right in the forehead. And what Larry had done, he took a pea and put it on a fork, you know, like, a, you know, how you can do, and flicked it at her, and it hit her right in the forehead. <laughs> right when she's supposed to do a really serious uh, line uh. yeah <laughs> and then she picked up some mashed potatoes and threw it at him so the food starts flying you know oh, i mean they, they, it was like 12 year olds but it was funny and i remember one actor said you know in dallas all you guys do is screw around all day and we you know we, we take our show seriously and I felt like saying, well, that's why Dallas is number one, and you guys are 34th or whatever. I don't know what it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Wow. <laughs> because how can you take you know, a show like Dallas seriously? I mean, it was not it was over the uh, top. above reality. Yeah, way over the top. I mean, there is nobody like JR. <laughs> but it was not. popular. And you were the guy that shot the scene of who shot JR, well, right? Is that right? I, I, yes, yes, and no. Yes, I was, but okay. it took place over so many episodes. You know, I was there when we shot him, yeah. but I did not know who shot him. Okay, I, and I was directing the show. The only people that knew were this Leonard Katzman and the film editor, which I thought was kind of funny. And well, because I we had everybody walk up to this mark and shoot the gun. <laughs> I'm glad nobody got hurt in that thing because. Like oh, what yeah. happened yesterday? Or the oh other my day. gosh, that's just awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But uh, it, it was interesting that we had everybody. I mean, even Larry Hagman shot himself. The <laughs> film of Larry doing it, he didn't have his, you know, his tie was loose and it wasn't. Oh, wow. I don't know. <laughs> they covered all the bases. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. And uh, I did not know until actually I saw the show that Kathy did it. Leonard Katzman wrote the Bible for it, and he also wrote a lot of episodes, directed many, many of them. We were friends, and we'd have dinner or whatever, and somebody would say, oh, that episode they liked, and he said, did I direct that or did you? We couldn't remember, you know, because they all had, they're all so similar. And he said, I think I wrote that, but I don't remember. (laughs) Did he produce uh, some of Walker, Texas Ranger? Was I reading that? Yeah, one season. One season of it. Okay. And that was a, a, a situation that never... Because uh, Chuck Norris was the boss. It was his show. He knew what he wanted. Yeah. And so whenever a producer tried to uh, do stuff... Uh, Usurp Chuck Norris. Yeah. It, yeah, to tell Chuck what to do. And Chuck would rewrite the scripts. Every Saturday morning, we'd have a meeting... Uh, and and rewrite the script, you know, because by that time the director had uh, decided where to shoot. And so you change it to fit, you know, well, we couldn't find a barn next to a corral. Can we use a, a gas station, you know, whatever. And, they, yeah. and we'd make those decisions. Well, Lenny wanted to be the boss and because uh, he had been the boss on Dallas. Mm-hmm. It was a great moment on Dallas. The actors always wanted to rewrite the scripts. And so one day a new script came out and he gave it a distributed among all the actors and it all had blank pages. And he said, well, you guys rewrite everything. Why don't you just say whatever you want? And they got the hint right there. And there. <laughs> and they, <laughs> That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so you met uh, Cherie J. Wilson on Dallas as well, right? You worked with her there? Yes. Yeah, she, she started on Dallas. She's a wonderful person and an actress. She was the one responsible for me getting on Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, how did that play out? Well, they, they, were, they had shot one or two episodes, or, and they were behind, and they had to, you know, they were leaving scenes to be shot at a later date. And she said, you know, they had me down there to Chuck, but we wouldn't be doing this. We'd be going home after eight or 10 hours and all that stuff. And uh, he said, well, who is this guy? So anyway, they, they hired me for one episode. I went down and we shot in the morning. Chuck Norris came to me at lunchtime and said, I want you to do every other episode. And he said, well, wait a minute, you haven't even seen film yet. How do you know? He said, I can tell. And uh, he, so they hired me, uh, and I did. Uh, not every other episode, but for a few years I did. I mean, and, you, uh, you did. Uh, I mean, you've done, I mean, at least 70 episodes, right? I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I got mixed up because some of them were two-parters, yeah. and uh, I would direct both of them, or sometimes – they decided to make it a two-parter after seeing them together, that kind of stuff. So, I don't know. Yeah, around 70, I guess. Yeah. Is, is I so, don't know. Is, as you were saying earlier, some shows you'll do one 
episode a season or is it common for directors to do as many as, as you did on Dallas and on Walker? Or is that an anomaly? Uh, yeah, well, no, it's not, it's odd because it depends on what it was. I did a series with Tim Conway and I directed every episode, but we only made six of them, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they, we were going to alternate and then figured out I could do all of them because I got along with Tim Conway. A lot has to do with the actor feels comfortable. You know, if you're a director that is really opinion and wants it exactly your way, you're not going to work in television. I mean, you're not going <laughs> to make it. There was a famous director named Mark Rydell, who was a terrible television director because he was too strong. I mean, mm. he was like, uh, you know, because TV shows, you've got to keep a continuity. You don't want some one show to look a certain way, and then the next episode to look completely different. Yeah. And and that's what he did. So he, he went on to become a big-time director. Okay. <laughs> you know, All right. Big features. Yeah. So. so there's a kind of a difference between, you know, like a feature director and television directing? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, yeah. You, you have to. Uh, you know, features, you want everything perfect. But in television, you can kind of get away with the master's fine. We'll do it better in that close-ups. <laughs> you don't have the luxury of doing it over and over. I don't know. It, it, there's been a lot of television directors who have gone on to do big-time movies. Yeah. You know, Peck and Paul, for one. And uh, guys I worked with were more back when television first started, they they would do some stuff and, and then go on to big films. Yeah, and TV's becoming more like the movies every day here. Oh, sure. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You hit it off with Chuck, and he obviously trusted you. Um, do you think it's because you guys are, you know, around the same age and you also like to pump iron? Yeah, we were both kind of physical. Well, he's more physical than I am, but he he would come on the set in the morning, and if we were shooting in a nightclub or a restaurant or something, I'd walk over and i said, <coughs> Chuck, um, if you get a chance, there's at the table over my left shoulder, there's really a, a these were extras, real, you know, local people that lived in Dallas. They just happen to want to be on the show. Yeah. And I said, uh, she's kind of very pretty. He was single at the time. Okay. And um, yeah. he said, yeah, I see her. And then 10 minutes later, he'd be over there chatting up with her. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing ever came of it, but he, he was like a, that kind of guy. You know, he, he, okay. he liked girls. All right. Okay. <laughs> I said, we're going to get in trouble someday. <laughs> so, you know, now you would, you know, because you, know, yeah. you can't tell a girl she looks pretty anymore. Yeah. It's a, it's a fine yeah. line. <laughs> oh no! It's, it's all and, yeah. unless unless you're married. Uh, yeah, right. Oh, then you yeah, you better, better. yeah. Yeah, well, that's so true. Yeah, it's okay then for sure. Uh, but you, so you do you work out every day still? You were saying so. I'm yeah. Well, that, I have a yeah. tra- I'm, I'm 85, so I have a trainer that comes to my house three days a week, and uh, he was he's an interesting guy. He was a you know the world's strongest man uh, contest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he he was the world's strongest man. Uh, he's older now. He's sixty three, I think. But he won that, so he's a, he knows about training. And he weighed two ninety when he was 
world's strongest man. And wow. now he weighs 175, but he's in great shape. Do you think he he's the world's surfing. strongest 63-year-old guy? Uh, not anymore, no, because he's, uh, <laughs> he's hurt himself too much doing that stuff. Uh, That's not uh, healthy. Okay. And over 1,000 pounds he squatted with. I don't know if that means anything to you guys, but... That's a lot of weight. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, I think I I think I had to top out at maybe eighty pounds. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me too. now I do squats with no weight. I just yeah. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> That's true. I, if I drop my keys, there's about a thirty percent chance I will get up. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did Chuck Norris ever uh, hook you up with the uh, Sportsman's Gym, or or was it Total Gym? Yeah, the Total uh, Gym. Yes, he gave me he gave me one uh, <laughs> because I w- w- they were shooting a commercial on the, on our stage, and I walked over, and they didn't have a director. I mean, they they had the people there from Total Gym, and uh, Christy Brickley was that came down, and she was there, and um, so you uh, were hanging out naturally. So I was hanging out, and, you know, and and he was he had a, a monologue. So anyway, I helped him out a little tiny bit, and, and then one day they delivered one to my house, and I had it in Dallas, <laughs> and then I and I used it a lot, uh, but I still went to a gym there, uh, aerobic center. But I also said it was a wonderful thing to dry laundry on because you take your laundry out of the washing machine. <laughs> Because <laughs> <Wow. laughs> you know you're gonna hang stuff on, but then I brought it back to Los Angeles, and I had it here for years. And finally, I gave it to a young man who really wanted it. Uh, they're twin brothers, twin Korean brothers who worked on Walker. Oh, and and a couple of episodes, and their father had worked on Walker also. Kim, their last name was Kim. One episode, I forget. There was a little Asian boy who was the the new Dalai um, Lama or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember that <laughs> one. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. 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 Anyway, they, they played, they were in a limo at a park where they were trying to kidnap him. And I don't know. They were, they're they're tw- <laughs> twin, tall twin uh, Korean yeah, guys. And they were great. And so I gave them that. Oh, that's and, awesome. Well, nice. That's, it's good. Nice. That the, uh, it's in the family. So, so are, are you saying that you effectively directed the Total Gym commercial unofficially? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I guess so. The one of them. This one, uh, nice. I, I remember it was just a pitch that, that, that Chuck Norris did about it. And I think Christy, she was working out. And I said, you know, and they kept, while we were lighting, they were shooting. And then he would have to go over and quickly change clothes to do the scene with, you know, a Walker. Maybe he wasn't in every shot okay. at that time. I don't remember exactly, but yeah, I mean, I, they, I was shocked. They didn't have a director mm. and, or maybe Chuck said, Oh, just, you know, we'll get it done. I mean, it wasn't very simple. It wasn't like, you know, dollying and shots it was basically him doing all of the exercises. Yeah, was there a continuity between sweat stains? You know, help you better spray some water there, that kind of thing. Yeah, probably. I don't, you know, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chuck never, you know, Chuck was really good about. It. He didn't sweat. 
And, you know, lots of times we're down there and it was hot. And he would have to wear that hat and the, and his long sleeve shirt and, you know, uh, pants and a gun belt and all that stuff. Kind of difficult. We'd be sitting with air conditioners and pulling on us. And, yeah, he's a <laughs> tough guy. I mean, yeah. he's a real thing. There was, uh, there's nothing fake about Chuck Norris, you know, like, you know, as he got older, his spinning heel kicks and stuff like that got less and less with the double. But, you know, he had a very good double, you know, a couple of them. But they, but he, he could start it. He could still do it, but why, you know? Why mm-hmm. kick your leg way up in the air and, you know, maybe pull a muscle or uh, and then shut down the company? There'd be no sense in that. But as far as I remember, I don't think he ever got hurt. On set. On set, yeah. Okay. Hey, guys, Adam here. Just going to hit pause on our conversation here for a second. Uh, we've got an eager corporate sponsor. They paid a lot of money, and uh, I'm proud to say that the sponsor for this podcast is Roundhouse Roulette, um, which you may or may not be aware of. They're a Walker, Texas Ranger podcast. They recap and review epic episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger. And they've asked me to tell you, if you dig what they're doing, they've got ridiculous action figures and Chuck Norris vintage items on their website, roundhouseroulette.com. And they even have a Patreon page, if you feel so inclined. Um, But really, the biggest way that you can help them out is just pass on the good word and uh, share it with a friend you think might dig it. That's what they've asked me to try to convey to you. Um, (laughs) But uh, picking up here with our conversation with Michael, he's going to talk explosions. He's going to talk insider Walker, Texas Ranger stories. Uh, there may even be a bombshell revelation that's going to change the way you watch Walker, Texas Ranger from here on out. But picking up here, we're going to try to pin him down as the director of Walker, Texas Ranger on what it is, because we're still trying to figure it out. I guess one thing we always kind of wonder is, um, how would you describe Walker, Texas Ranger to somebody if you were just saying, hey... This is what this show is. Well, uh, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) There was a, uh, there's a, at the airport, at the small airport in Dallas, there's a a picture of a Texas Ranger or a statue of a picture, statue of it. And it says one riot, one Ranger. And uh, when he first started wanting to do, Oh, uh, this thing is Lone Star McQuaid. What was it? I forget the uh, name of that. Lone Wolf McQuaid, yeah. Yeah, Lone Wolf. And that was about a Texas Ranger, I think. So mm-hmm. there, it was in the works always that he wanted to be a, a straight shooting, honest Texas Ranger. But I, I would say that it was a series about fighting and loosely connected by a story. As opposed to, <laughs> I mean, the, the, mainly the show was about uh, people wanted to see him kick butt. And, um, yeah. and I think <laughs> they, more, more than uh, Kiss Girls, uh, the first producer, um, he did not believe that Chuck and Cherie should be together at all as a couple. Because, it, it, you know, the women who watch the show say, well, I might have a chance to marry 
Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> the next set of producers went against that. And uh, they ended up getting married and having a baby and all that stuff. So, right. Yeah. But they delayed that for for quite a while yeah. in the series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, well, I mean, we might have an answer. Yeah. <laughs> That's why, maybe. You know, the advice on all movies and television shows is keep the leading man single and the leading mm. lady single because people, the audience out there, and I'm not saying they're, they're naive because they think they still have a chance. <laughs> and if they're married and, and, and you know, with five kids and you, you don't say, I don't want to marry Chuck Morris. Yeah. Yeah. He's got some baggage. Chuck, uh, I think he really could have been elected into politics, especially in Dallas. Like if he had run for governor, he could have probably become governor because when George Bush was running for governor, he got all the adulation. Chuck Norris did? Yeah. <laughs> now, well, he, oh, yeah. he campaigned for him, right? Yeah, I think he did for governor yeah. and president. But oh, then wow. he, he, yeah. he also campaigned for um, another guy. I forget his name. The guy from Dallas. Oh, uh, Huckabee, right? Ooh, yeah, Huckabee. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so I, I guess it's, but describing this, the show itself, it's a Texas Ranger who does karate. That's kind of absurd, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, I was, and, and then interestingly enough, which which made us all giggle, is everybody could fight and fight <laughs> Walker and knock him down. And, and, you know, we would get actors. There was an actor, really a good, good actor, and he showed up on location, played a, a bad heavy, a really bad guy. A cocaine and everything and he shows up and he gets out of the car and he's walking with a, a cane and so, so he said yeah well they hired him in Hollywood we had nothing to do with it in Texas and he comes down and, he, and now he's supposed to have this big fight with Chuck and I said well you know the guy is a cripple <laughs> and Chuck Norris <laughs> It's Chuck Norris. So how do you how do you have a, a full out fight with this guy who can hardly walk and he's uh, yeah. seventy five pounds overweight? Oh. And yet somehow we did it. You know, and the guy used, the guy used his cane to fight off Chuck. You know, but uh, he was a cane marksman. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But was it better to get a guy who could really fight, or is it better to get an actor and, you know, double him or whatever? But I'm friends with a guy named Tim Thomerson who came to Dallas, and he did a big fight with Chuck. And he did it all himself. He didn't need a stuntman. But uh, yet he's a good actor, too. And uh, so that happened off and on. But, um, you know, and then every woman could fight. Where, uh, you know, how they yeah, all, yeah. Uh, you know, cocaine dealers and stuff like that, they yeah. still knew how to do a, a spinning eel kick, you know. <laughs> <laughs> On my way to become a criminal, I, I took, I, I went to karate classes. Yeah. <laughs> now, my brother Adam and I, we watched Walker when we were growing up and we were, you know, in, in New England. And I think we were just under the assumption that 
everybody in Texas learns martial arts at a young age. That seemed to be the only reasonable explanation. I wondered about a gas station. I mean, everybody was a martial artist on walk. I mean, you know, they they go, you know, they'd be robbing a 7-Eleven or something like that. And and the guy behind the counter all of a sudden would do a, you know, a backflip and, you know, how many years to do that? So this brings us back to it. Like, what is the tone of the show? Because if you just base it on the leading man, Chuck Norris, this is incredibly serious. He doesn't emote a lot. So it's like, has this weird groundedness through him. Like, this is real. This is serious. But the craziest stuff is happening around him. And I almost feel like the other actors have to kind of amp up their performances just a little bit to compensate for Chuck. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah. He... You know, when we started that series, uh, you know, Chuck had done movies. Chuck uh, had the ability, but he he got better. And part of it was he had a dialogue coach with him constantly to run it because he had difficult time remembering lines and to just get them out. You know, say Clint Eastwood or whatever, Steve McQueen, say less, and, you know, Charles Bronson, all those guys cut their lines. And just do it with a look. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Fred Dreyer, <laughs> too. All those guys said, well, can't I just do it with a look? And uh, toward the end, he had become really a, a, quite a good actor. I don't know whether he could play anything else but Walker Tennyson, Granger, but he'd become very good at that. Yeah. And I, I'll give you a for instance. We were shooting a scene where he was teaching a martial arts class to a bunch of kids. This was when, when they tried to do the spinoff. Oh, yeah, Sons uh, of Thunder. Yeah. Sons of Thunder. And he was teaching a class, and he was wonderful. He walked through this bunch of kids lined up in a gym, indoor gym, and he was, like, telling them what to do and how to do this and that. And I said, you know, Chuck, if you could do that in every scene, just be that guy, I, I said, you win an Academy Award. Hmm. <laughs> because you really, really uh, nailed it. He said, yeah, I know. He said, but I'm in my element there. Mm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he'd been doing that since the 60s, right? Teaching karate classes, so. Yeah, he taught my kids which uh, was uh, uh, karate school. I don't know whether he taught them so much, but he was there all the time. Wow. So do you think your comment on that led Chuck Norris to uh, try his movie acting skills again with the film Sidekicks, which is kind of uh, teaching somebody martial arts? I don't know whether it did or not. I have no idea. I wish I could say, yeah. Yeah, because that's a royalty check right there for sure. Yeah. If it was. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I didn't know. What was Sidekicks? Was that a, a movie? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's his attempt at Karate Kid, I think. He's got like a young war oh, that he's Oh, yeah I, yeah, I remember it. Now. I never saw it, but I remember he did that, yeah. yeah. But all right, so I'm trying to get to the bottom of this here. So it's over-the-top tone, <laughs> like, but you directed these episodes, and you're saying the main priority here is we want to see Chuck Norris just wreck some houses, right? We want to see him throw yeah. some spin kicks, right? Right. Okay, so that's a priority. But then we get in a lot of these episodes kind of like a 
slid in there like kind of like a bitter pill moral lesson? Yeah, that was Chuck's ideas. I think mostly the uh, moral issue. Yeah, which they're, they're good. It's just sometimes it's like a weird juxtaposition between uh, we just want to see some explosions and then we have this extremely serious topic in there too. And it's like, it it's quite yeah, a like, juggling act. It's, so much of it was drug addiction. I mean, he had uh, that theme, uh, kick drugs out of America. And, uh, mm. you know, he tried very, very hard. And that was him. I mean, he really believed in that. I'm sure he still does. Because we would be down there, and, and it seemed like most, not every episode, but a, a lot of them had to deal with drugs. Yeah. Drug dealers or gangs dealing drugs yeah. or stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Or uh, semi trucks filled with drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the human interest stores. You know, like where we had orphans and, and then Chuck, they, they made one where he, uh, I did it where a Western one where he fell in love with a singer in a nightclub or a Western club oh, in man. Texas. And, and then a great big guy was going to beat her up. And then he, he ends up committing suicide at the end. That actor. Mm. What, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, it was a pretty good episode. But then Chuck said, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to be vulnerable to uh, kissing girls. Because uh, oh. he, he had to actually kiss her. It weakened his, his uh, position. Okay, yeah. He wanted to be the uh, strong, silent type. He didn't want to, you know, pining for her. Because we had him sitting at the bar thinking about her. And they had flashbacks to when they were in love. Okay. And we hired a a very pretty girl who could who could sing, and it was not about Walker solving a crime. It was more about this girl, and then the guy who beat her up, who was quite a good actor. I I I think it's something to do with dreams. Okay. Yeah, we haven't watched that one yet. I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. Yeah, look that one up. It's it's a good one. You know, it made Chuck look uh, weak. (laughs) <laughs> because he was vulnerable to, to, to a girl. Oh, my gosh. So we actually saw an episode where an Irish assassin tries to uh, seduce Walker's character. Um, <laughs> and and he does not fall for the ruse. He even is able to sneak a little kiss in, but he's always got the uh, upper hand in that relationship. So that's interesting. Did I do that one? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't think you did that one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see it on the list. I don't it's possible, think I did. Though. Probably not. I would. I would think you would have had an issue with the uh, really awful Irish accents that were happening. But oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, it kind of seemed like the operation was like Chuck's family-run thing, right? I mean, it's really a lot of his family was involved with it, and it being in Texas. Yeah, his son, Eric, was a stunt coordinator, and Eric's best friend uh, and Chuck's friend was a fight coordinator, and his other son, Mike, played parts off and on, and then his daughter, Chuck's daughter, in the office he worked. Since you've worked on so many different productions, was Walker kind of run differently than other TV shows? Not really. It was... Uh, we had very good production managers. 
And a producer, a guy named uh, Gary Brown, took over after a couple of years. We had another guy, Craig Bodine. He left the show. And Gary was going to go down to San Diego to work on a thing. And I said, don't quit because they're going to make you production manager. And he did that for a year or so. Then he became the line producer and did the last four or five years as a line producer. So Chuck, if he liked you, like, you know, somebody like Gary, you stayed with the show. It wasn't you had to do it his way, but as long as you didn't uh, run against him, you know. Or, or say bad things about his brother or something like that. Mm. Aaron Norris <laughs> took over the show. It was the best thing that happened to the show because uh, they had, there were so many producers. And when Aaron took over, he straightened it out he was, because he was like his brother, you know, kind of a tough guy. Yeah. A martial artist. Uh, stunt guy. Stunt guy, fighter. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and the show was surrounded by that. Well, there was a lot of macho stuff going on there. Testosterone uh, <laughs> galore. Yeah. <laughs> now you you say that people weren't allowed to uh, badmouth Aaron Norris. Did that actually happen to somebody? Uh, yeah, a couple of times. Uh, yeah. and, they and would, in fact, Evan, he's coming for you right now. So you better lock your door. <laughs> he'll, never, he'll never find me. Yeah, you know, people would say, uh, remark, and he never knew who the spy was. We always had that. You know, be careful of what you say because it'll get back to you. Very first year, I made a mistake. They said, don't let Chuck do something or other. And I said, you know, on the set, Chuck's the boss. There's no doubt about it. it. You know, and the guy who was the executive producer, somebody told him that I had said that. And they called me in the office and said, you know, I hear you said that Chuck's the boss. And I said, well, yeah, he is on the set. I'm not talking about uh, the director should be the boss on the set. But in this case, it's Chuck Norris. And, yeah. and you don't want to. So you do it his way, you know, unless you have a good reason not to. I mean, you know, he was a reasonable guy. So, you know, I go way back to, you know, I worked with Marlon Brando quite a bit. and. You know, Warren Brando could suggest doing anything, and they would go for it, and uh, and, and and it was awful. I mean, because nobody would ever say, "No, that's not a good idea." Yeah, they were afraid of. But but Chuck was not like that. I mean, most of his ideas were pretty good. Okay, but I mean, Marlon Brando didn't know karate either, so no. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> But I wish I could answer your question about what was the show. Uh, it's a show about Chuck Norris playing a Texas Ranger who loves to fight. Uh, he would throw a rifle away just to fight the guy rather than shoot him or arrest him. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he did. He. It was basically a shoot him up show. I, yeah. I, I. I don't know. I, I've never talked to anybody. Who didn't like the show? Yeah, yeah. You know, and do you remember Conan O'Brien? I think it was had a thing where they would pull an arm and <laughs> and they would have a, a a scene from Walker Texas Ranger. Oh yes, please tell us what you think about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it was funny. You know, they, do you remember that at all? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. I, I thought Conan 
he did one where they kept <laughs> I liked it because they paid me a little money for the film clip but uh, they nice. um, they had one where where the little boy had age you know that was dying. Oh, yes. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. have you seen you've seen that episode right oh, oh yes yeah. Lucas yeah and they yeah. and they made fun of it you know oh. <laughs> I mean it was I mean Chuck was very good in that I thought as an actor yeah, yeah. He, yeah. when he when he gave the speech at the funeral and, and it was funny. I, I was sitting there and Aaron was on the set that day and Chuck's up there at the podium, you know, doing his speech. And I thought he did a very nice job mm-hmm. and Aaron sitting there. And I, you know, he finished, and I said, cut. And I don't know whether to say cut print. Great. And his brother saying, well, you're going to print that. You know what? I don't like producers on the set mm-hmm. because he, you know, you know, if you say, oh, I thought it was great, and they say, no, no, it wasn't oh, right. good. Yep. <laughs> but uh, Aaron's, uh, he was good. I, I was good friends with Aaron. He hasn't come for you yet. <laughs> no. I <haven't>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess so, so on that Lucas episode, I, I was listening to an interview you did, and you were saying that a lot of the times on TV shows, a lot of the actors kind of know what the show's vibe is, and they kind of have their lane to stay in and you just kind of guide them but when you have like children who act you have to be a little more hands-on was that the case with the lucas episode with Haley joel osmond um nah, yes and no his dad was with him and coached him uh he knew exactly what he was doing that kid was he was a mature actor he does an amazing job in that episode yeah I, I would go through his dad rather than going up to the kid. I think his dad was responsible for that performance. So you traveled a bunch. You did uh, some shows in Louisiana, right? Yeah, we did um, a, a Bayou show. Road to Black Bayou. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, we went down there. That worked out beautifully. I loved that. I loved getting on those boats and driving. I got to drive one. Awesome. Propeller boat. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> we shot there. We shot in Utah, we shot in Colorado. It was a great job for me. Great experience. I had uh, been working on Dallas, Hunter, and MacGyver all at the same time, back and forth. And um, all three were canceled. Ooh. And suddenly I was, I, I, had, I didn't have a job. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, Hollywood, you're only as good as your last job. And everybody wants you when you're working, but when you're not working, nobody. And I said, I'm never going to work again. And then uh, Cherie came through and recommended me for Walker. And I did Seventh Heaven after that. That was an odd show to work on, Seventh Heaven. <laughs> well, especially after after Dallas and, and after Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, <laughs> Dallas and Walker. And all of a sudden, <laughs> there you got to direct a lot because, you know, the kids and the twin boys. I was reading on um, the uh, MacGyver project that you said that that was one of the, your favorite shows to uh, work on. Yeah, it's the only show. I went to my agent and I said, you know, I watch this show MacGyver, and I really, I really like it, and because it was, I thought it was fascinating. And he said, well, let me find out, and, and he got me a job on it. So it's the only time I ever asked to get on a show. I did quite a few of them. It worked in Vancouver, but it didn't work in 
Los Angeles. I don't know what, what the difference was. And Richard Dean Anderson didn't like the rain very much. And, and if you're in Vancouver, you better like the rain. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I watched the episode. There was like a Nazi yeah. who was yeah. stealing yeah. art and uh, was going to take over like 10% of America. But um, you had mentioned that you've done a lot of neo-Nazi episodes in your career, including on Walker, right? <laughs> yeah, I think we did. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, oh, I remember that one. We had a, a show where there were all these Nazis, and we had this stuntman, Gary Morgan, who was a stuntman, and he's Jewish for one thing, and he's playing this, this neo-Nazi <laughs> guy with his Nazi uniform, and the, the, the actor who played the, the leader of it was wonderful. That was a very funny episode. It was fun to work on. And because we were having all these guys, you know, and, the, and especially the, the Jewish ones <laughs> playing this. I, and this one guy, Gary Morgan, is a, a well-known stuntman, and he, <laughs> and he was doing a Jewish accent when he would say, I don't Hitler. Oh, oh no! Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's doing like Mel Brooks, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh right. What do you think about all your shows that you worked on, like MacGyver? Uh, I think you worked on Hawaii Five O too, right? Yeah. Well, I, was, I didn't direct uh, that was before. And and then Walker, they're all being rebooted. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about that? Is it? Do you feel proud that you, yeah, <laughs> it's like? Well, <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know. I mean, I. I watched the Hawaii Five O, the new one. I thought they did okay. You know, uh, Dallas they brought back half the cast, which made no sense to me. But which <laughs> made no sense to me at all. It, I didn't care for that. Walker, uh, I don't know. Now they have a new series just called Walker. Right, right. But it's not the same. There's no explosions. There's no. There's no fighting. You know, he's not. He's yeah, no total gym. But that, the, the reason Walker worked because. He was Chuck Norris, you know. Uh, <laughs> we said that now, you know. I yeah. mean, uh, because he was a real thing. He really was a world champion. Yeah, that's what powered all his movies, and eventually, to Walker Tickets Ranger. Right around the time the uh, Conan O'Brien lever came out, and they had all those Chuck Norris jokes and all that stuff. He became like a folk hero. Yeah. What do you think about that? Oh, I think it was. It made him famous, you know. When they make fun of you, you yeah. you know you made it, you know. And it was Justin Hoffman who said, "I heard a rumor I'm gay, so I know I've made it." <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. knew I'd become famous when I heard a rumor. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we try to walk the line here on this podcast because we love the show, and it's it's just outlandishness um, is the best. You know, we love it. Yeah. Uh, but there are some people who take it at face value, like. Well, if you analyze Walker Texas Ranger, uh, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's it, you know, <laughs> far fetched. Uh, you know that that everybody could fight. You know, yeah. the real Texas Rangers aren't typically hanging well, off of helicopters. Yeah, if you ever saw one, have you ever known one? I mean, there's, there's some of our. You have bellies that, you know, they couldn't even climb up a stairway without getting uh, out of breath. Yeah. 
and, uh, and, and you know, it's like any police. Uh, I don't know how some of them pass the physical, uh, but but you know, Chuck. You know, here was a guy who was sixty over sixty being photographed with his shirt off and looked good. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sitting in a sweat lodge. Remember that episode? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like in the lotus position, the sweat lodge. Walker, Texas Ranger is still in syndication like crazy. And it's been on like the Hallmark channel where you have all this heartfelt stuff. And it's also been on like your grit network, your all night testosterone dude movies, like channels. Yeah. How, how does it transition between the two? It's crazy. It is. It's, it's an amazing that they keep running it. Uh, you know, I mean, there are a lot of shows that they keep running Seinfeld or something like that. Yeah. But Walker, you know, he just, I don't know. And, and most kids even know who he is. Well, uh, man, I appreciate yeah. you giving us so much of your time. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy to. Yeah. It's oh. nice to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have, I wish I had something uh, bad to say about Chuck, but he, 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 he was very faithful to his, um, <laughs> I don't wish I had something bad. Oh yeah. But well, I, no. I, I, well, that's, that's definitely going but, on but, the podcast, know, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but no, but I mean, he, he treated all of his people really fairly. And, uh, I liked Aaron. I liked Michael and, and uh, Eric was special. He was like a, <laughs> he had a father, but I felt like he was sort of like my son. Yeah. Yeah. And then he directed a lot of shows uh, toward the end of, on his own. Um, he's also like a NASCAR driver, right? Yeah, I think he does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you guys did like a NASCAR episode of Walker, I think. That oh, you might have oh yeah. On. Yeah, we did. Yeah. What was that like? Well, I remember, <laughs> you know, that's the easiest stuff to do. You, you know, you put a camera on a car and have them drive around the track. You get a bunch of good drivers, and 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 uh, and you let somebody else stage all that stuff, you yeah. know, weaving in and out. But I remember that day I had a Jag convertible, and I got out on the racetrack and I was waiting in the morning, you know, for light or whatever. And I said, I'm going to take my car out there on that track and just drive around, see how fast I was going. So I, I looked down at the speedometer. And I was going, you know, nobody else on the track or anything yeah. Yeah. was, uh, I don't know how long it was, a mile or something. And I looked down and I was going 75 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's good enough for me, right? I don't need to go faster than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, here I am uh, driving my own Jaguar, you know, so I don't drive fast. Yeah, that, that's about my speed. So, yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us about? Um, I heard you talking about uh, the situation where you guys actually blew up like houses and stuff. How did that come across? Because that happens all the time. Oh, there was a house, and a, a lady who owned it was a writer of uh, uh, love novels. You know, uh, uh, those are. <laughs> You know, those novels. Romance, they, Fabio romance novels. Yeah, yeah, with him on the front. And <laughs> her last name was Brown. I forget her first name. But anyway, so we had uh, had ads all the time that if you want your house destroyed, um, Walker can do it. 
and uh, <laughs> you, you know, we we would come out there and and you know fill the house with explosives and blow it up, and then they would rebuild the house. So this one house we get to, and it was a big house with uh, you know a lot of bricks and everything. So the special effects guy said, "We can't do this with our normal explosives. We got to use dynamite." <laughs> so we go to this house. And they filled it with dynamite. You know, he talked about this poor woman that got murdered. I mean, it, that house really collapsed. It wasn't just our special effects guys. They hired a demolition team for, you know, tearing down buildings. Wow. And it was horrendous. Uh, and it worked. You know, we put more smoke in and then had Chuck and Clarence Gilliard come running out of the building and dive into the foreground just i mean we, we had them standing by we, we didn't move the cameras after the explosion now they would say well was it really safe because we hadn't sent anybody in to see if the you know the dynamite had all gone off but they assured me it had and so it looked good when you see it on film you'll see them run out of that house <laughs> but we did that at a couple of houses we i guess they saw an ad well, we're going to remodel our house. We might as well. Uh, yeah, we don't want to pay for a demolition crew. Let's just have Walker <laughs> yeah. pay for it. That's a, yeah. a clean slate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this was romance novelist Sondra Brown, I think it is. Yeah, is Sondra right? Brown. Yeah, yeah. We her house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just yeah. blew up her house. All right. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, we just watched an episode of Walker that you directed where – at the very end of the episode, you guys blew up like this pink double wide trailer. Oh boy. Yeah. That might've been a similar situation. <laughs> Evan was commenting. He's like the moment I saw that trailer at the beginning of the episode. Oh, it's going to blow up. Yeah. When you see somebody driving a Lincoln town car and they're a, um, you know, they're a wealthy guy. You know it's going to get blown up or wrecked. Or, yeah. You know. <laughs> Can you explain to us the uh, internal logic between the, uh, you know, the, we call it the super shot when Chuck Norris is faced with a car that's coming at him. He pulls out his six-shooter, shoots one bullet, and the thing just blows up. Yeah. What, you know, yep. was, did you guys have a term for that, or, or what? what's the... Uh, no, no, we just... <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just was a better shot than the bad guy shooting at him. <laughs> and, and I don't know what would really happen if you hit a gas tank on a car, if it would blow up. I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Why would it? <laughs> I, I think Mythbusters tackled that. We'll have to check that one out again and, and see. But I, I suspect you're right. If cars blew up that easily, there'd be a lot more car explosions on the road, I think. Yeah, I, I uh, was down in Mexico, and uh, I was in a car accident uh, in a van. A guy was driving, and we flipped over, oh. and we ended up, uh, I forget whether it was upside down or on the side, but I crawled out, and I was hurt. My head was bleeding and everything, mm. but the car never caught on fire at all. It's probably just proximity to Chuck Norris. That's really probably what it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> uh, the other thing he does is uh, the vehicular transference is what we call. Like you guys go, he goes like one vehicle form of transportation to another, you know, like 
Um, he's done hot air balloon to hot air balloon. He's gone, you know, horse to car. That's classic. <laughs> helicopter to helicopter to a pickup truck was my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Kenny Gibson was really good at that kind of stuff. Can you talk about him a little bit? The more we hear about Kenny Gibson, the more he sounds like the most interesting man in the world. Kenny Gibson could fly into a football stadium on a jetpack. You know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He did it a lot. You know, in Dallas, he he would fly in on with a jetpack on his back. He'd start outside the stadium and land in the middle of the field. And also, he he did all of Chuck's riding uh, stuff, where he rode a horse. He doubled him in most everything except fights. They had a fight guy, and they'd fly in from Oregon. Forget his name. Yeah. But he would do Chuck's fights for him. <laughs> okay. The parts that Chuck didn't want to do. He owned a, a karate studio somewhere in Oregon, I'm not sure. And he grew his hair exactly like Chuck. Chuck, <laughs> you know, had pieces of hair, you know, because he didn't have that much hair. But this kid had a full head of hair, and Chuck's makeup lady, Barbara, Cut it exactly like Chuck Norris, and you you know you could photograph him from the waist up. Practically, he looks so much like Chuck. <laughs> wow! So I guess that would explain why Chuck's hair color and style changed all the time. Well, as it ended up, uh, he wore a uh, a complete uh, wig. I mean, the whole thing uh, because it was just easier okay. to put that whole thing on rather than you know filling in bald spots. When did that start? Practically from the beginning, his hair was thin. Okay. Yeah. I noticed that he was wearing just a little bit of a hairpiece in the back. Yeah, yeah. You know, the clip-on kind of thing. And then it became, you know, more and more. And finally, the last few years, it was a complete helmet. Okay. It was much faster because they could just pop it on, you know. A little uh, glue and... And it's perfect hair. Yeah. Yeah, I saw you were talking with uh, Sam Williamson. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so. He was a character actor on, on Walker. That's how you met him. Is that right? Yeah, he did a couple episodes, yeah. Yeah, as a kid. A sympathetic bad kid in one. <laughs> yeah, the, that yeah. was one where, like, there was, like, a bunch of, like, preppy kids, like, beating up homeless people. Yeah, yeah be- beating up homeless people, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they got their comeuppance, yeah. And then he got, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, you guys are bringing back all that stuff I forgot about. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, my friend, all, all my old stuntmen friends, and we get together. I, one's an actor, and um, one's a stuntman, one's a cinematographer. We have these luncheons. Well, we didn't last year because it was, thing but we're now we we're starting back and we talk about all the shows that we've worked on sounds like, like you guys should start a podcast yeah let's put a microphone <laughs> up there <laughs> and then we have guys a couple of stuntmen wondering how much they lie about stunts how high the fall was or how you know <laughs> there i was you know, 60 feet in the air no net you know <laughs> And we used to talk about girls. Now we talk about, uh, you know, our, our ailments. 
<laughs> Back pills. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Getting up off the floor, you know. <laughs> what we like to kind of end the show with, uh, I mean, you know you know how Chuck sings his own theme song, obviously, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Would you be down to say, may the eyes of the ranger be upon you? Sure. You want me to say it? Yep, go whenever you're may ready. May the yeah. eyes of the... Already, yeah. <laughs> May the eyes of the ranger be upon you. Awesome. May the <laughs> eyes of the ranger be upon you. I, I like see. it when you laugh over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you've, you've given us multiple I'd, options. I'd use that one. I'd use that one. <laughs> that's that's the director right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to give you a credit on this episode. Okay. Yeah. It's great talking to you guys. You're, um, I love it. Oh, no, man. Thank you so much. Well, we can't thank Michael enough for talking with us. Um, He is a treasure trove of TV history, and I'm sure, you know, could do podcast upon podcast on any number of the shows he's worked on. Um, And uh, it was really an honor to talk with him. We hope you'll join us next time when we return to our normal format, recapping and reviewing bone-crushing episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger, many of which were directed by Mr. Michael Priest himself. Be sure to share your opinions with us on Facebook and Instagram at at roundhouseroulette and Twitter at at roundhousepod and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and until next time. May the eyes of the ranger be upon you. When you're in Texas, look behind you. Where the range is gonna be